Dr. Karen Stout's an American educationalist who leads Achieving the Dream, a national network of more than 300 tertiary community colleges in the United States. She's visiting New Zealand to share her experience of how tertiary education organisations can redesign themselves around the needs of learners with the goal of success for all, uh, no matter what their background. She says the network has proved that innovative, evidence-based community college programmes and interventions can produce and sustain uh, student success. The tertiary Education Commission, which is supporting Dr Stout's visit, has conceded the tertiary system here is not working for many, including Māori, Pacifica, the disabled and working students. So what can tertiary institutions here learn from Achieve the Dream? Dr Karen Stout, I think, is on Waiheke Island at the moment. Lovely to talk to you. Welcome. Oh, thank you. It's great to be here with you. What led to the forming of this grouping, Achieve the Dream? Achieving the Dream. Uh, Well, we were formed 20 years ago. We're celebrating our 20th anniversary in 2024. And we were formed by a large uh, philanthropic entity in the United States, uh, the Lumina Foundation. The foundation at the time was concerned about the very low, I'll I'll call completion rates. And that would be uh, the ability for a student or a learner to get a credential that leads to a living wage. Uh, back in 2004, the the rates, the completion rates for community colleges in the states were very, very low. And there was a concern also in the government that without having stronger pathways to success for all learners, uh, the country would face a, a severe talent shortage uh, in some key occupational areas. Uh, and the sense was that most post-secondary learners in the United States come through community colleges and that if we could uh, support community colleges in being better designed to support learner success, we'd be able to address a significant significant shortage of workers and talent in the United States. Can you explain the community college system, how it sits within the tertiary education system in the U.S.? We're familiar with the big Ivy League universities. So just just explain where it sits. It's it's an it's interesting because community colleges are uh, not familiar in most of the world. Uh, we are a system that sits right in between what we call high school um, and what would be the university uh, baccalaureate degree granting institutions, and we we have opportunities for learners to gain uh, what we call an associate degree, which is a two year credential. Uh, many associate degrees lead right into an occupation, uh, but we also offer two-year degrees that transfer to the university. So they would be students would be able to transfer their credits into an Ivy League-like institution in the states through the community college. So it is a local, uh, community-based uh, organization or institution that really is about access. There are no admission criteria for learners to get into community colleges. Uh, And so that means that we serve uh, students of all types. The demographics of the community college sector are primarily uh, working adults, uh, racially minoritized students, poverty impacted students. uh, And the work that we do community by community is really essential to building uh, transformational pathways for families 
uh, in local communities, especially in some of the rural parts of the United States. So this could be a stepping stone to a university. It might be a, a, a vocational training in its entirety for some jobs, yeah? That's that's exactly right. Uh, you've described it perfectly. Okay. Uh, so, in, in you know, many of our nurses uh, travel through community colleges and earn an associate degree from the community college and then can go right into the nursing profession. Right. And they can also continue their, their development by transferring if they choose to. It sounds similar in some ways to our polytechnic uh, system. Similar to, um, similar. Yes, I, I would say that that would be the analogous case here. And did Absolutely. you say most students will go this route if they are doing post-compulsory school study? Well, you know, we as a sector, we have about 12 million students enrolled in America's community colleges. That's more than half of the students enrolled in post-secondary education. And when we look at transcripts of students who earn a bachelor's degree in the United States, nearly 60 percent of them have some type of community college credit on their transcript. So it is a major engine uh, for for talent. Uh, for local talent, regional talent, and for just building the fabric of our communities. Uh, so yes, it's it's a primary a primary part of the of the system in the United States. What are the inequality statistics you're grappling with in the United States with respect to education? And remembering that statistics are actually people and their futures and their prospects. Yes. But what are the what's Absolutely. the reality? Well, you know, the, the, and so I'm so glad you, you talk about the behind every data point that I that I might uh, use today as a student, as a learner, as a family. Uh, and so that's really important to remember. Uh, the inequality in the U.S. Uh, as far as access to post-secondary education is significant. Uh, we know uh, even you know prior to prior to COVID, there were significant inequities in moving into post-secondary education for black learners, Hispanic learners, and indigenous learners in the United States. In addition, there were a, there's a large group of adult uh, student parents who were disconnected from the educational system. And those inequities have been chronic in the United States and certainly were, were part of what led to the formation of Achieving the Dream. Uh, so what we do as an organization is really work with our colleges to look at, at and, and I know I'm using the term college, it's post-secondary, help our post-secondary uh, institutions in achieving the dream to look at their data, to look at how students enter into their colleges, uh, to, to, to figure out where there are leakage points along the way as they travel through their first semester, their first year of study, where do they start to drop? And so there are inequities to get into college, and then the inequities get larger as students move through our colleges. Uh, so there are significant completion gaps when you look at the rates of completion uh, for white learners, uh, black learners, Hispanic learners, and indigenous learners. And so we're really working as an organization to help our colleges to redesign the way students come into the colleges and the experience that they have to create more sense of belonging, more momentum more meaning as they move through the pathway so that they can gain a, a, a credential at the same rate uh, as all students are gaining that credential. So what are some of the strategies or the techniques? I know you uh, design these depending on each institution's own circumstances, but can you give us a couple of case studies yes. Of, yes, of changes that have made a, a difference? Absolutely. So 
Uh, well, first, first of all, we look at each institution's data. So this is, there is no uh, common prescriptive approach that we use. We really help the colleges uh, and the faculty and staff at the, at the post-secondary institutions to look at their data and to have those you know, aha moments about where the opportunity might be to make a structural change. So some of those opportunities include uh, just looking at courses, the, the, I call them the gatekeeper courses, those first few courses that every learner takes on their way to a post-secondary credential, uh, math uh, and English, especially in the United States, uh, is where we see significant drop-off points and chronic inequities in completion. So we work with the faculty to look at the data in, in their courses, and then we help the faculty to redesign uh, the courses and the assessments within the courses in a way that, that supports all learners to stronger success. Uh, so that, that's, that's one you know, significant lever or strategy. Another is to look at the supports that we give students when they enter uh, the post-secondary institution. In the States, we call that their academic advising uh, supports. So how are we ensuring that students upon entry are getting that kind of advising that they need to understand what the journey looks like, to understand how the courses that they're taking lead to a career, uh, and to help move that career choice on the front end of the experience rather than the back end of the experience, which is often way too late. You know, many times we move students who are you know, racially minoritized in the US, we may move them into programs that are not necessarily programs where there are high, uh, high wages at the end of the program. So we're really trying to make sure that programs are designed uh, in more equitable ways as well. So academic advising is another one of those uh, big points. The other thing we help our colleges do is to redesign programs. So we look at course level data, but then we look at program data. Uh, what is the sequencing of the of the experience in that particular program? Are there ways to change the sequencing so that all learners have more successful outcomes at the end uh, than than currently uh, they're experiencing? So those are a few of the of the of the levers that um, that I that I've talked about while I've been in in New Zealand. Uh, the the big thing here is that there is not one prescribed way to do this work, that it is very local, very context-driven. Each institution is uh, situated in a different space, uh, and therefore the design of the interventions need to be very localized. Does the community college system, or those that you work with at least, incorporate other life demands, like working, like raising children, for oh. example? Oh, absolutely. And in fact, uh, Achieving the Dream has a large uh, effort underway right now for uh, working student parents. Uh, and most of those learners are attending part-time, so they're not taking on a full-time load. Uh, and the way that the colleges need to design themselves to support learner success for working adults is a lot different than it would be uh, for an 18-year-old coming in for a full-time experience. So many of our institutions, for example, have deconstructed what we call the semester system in the States, and they've created shorter terms that are continuous. And those are especially uh, 
the, the data show that that adult learners that have the opportunity to learn in eight week continuous continuous kind of uh, of uh, terms have stronger success because they can if life gets in the way and they need to stop out they're only stopping out for eight weeks they're not stopping out for a full semester and then getting back on track uh, so that is one intervention the other things that we we help our colleges with especially for uh, working adults child care supports uh, and for for students who are making that kind of trade-off they're going to a post-secondary experience and maybe giving up work. Uh, there are a lot of wraparound supports for students. Uh, we work with uh, learners who are food insecure, who are housing insecure, who are transportation insecure. Uh, so our colleges will identify upon entry all of those risk factors that um, that students bring with them. And I, I hate to use the term risk uh, because it's somewhat of a, of a deficit lens. Uh, these students are also bringing life experiences to our campuses that enrich in, uh, enrich in our, our colleges. The Tertiary Education Commission, uh, which is supporting your visit here, admits the obvious, which is that our tertiary education system does not work well for many Māori, Pacific, disabled uh, and low-income earners. And that would be an understatement when I think of some of those students we have interviewed about their experiences, uh, including those who've gone on to considerable success. It is very lonely. Can you speak to the culture of these colleges broadly um, and whether, um, you know, we talked about the Ivy League colleges earlier, whether they have a distinct culture and have worked hard, a culture is plural, that they have worked hard for? Oh, you know, I, I think that that the colleges we work with at Achieving the Dream, when they first come into our network, uh, have cultures that are often resistant to change. And I sense that that probably is the same here in New Zealand. Uh, it is hard to face, to look at your data and to think that 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 is reflective of the work of the university. Uh, you know, I, I often tell our Achieving the Dream colleges, I can tell when the culture is starting to turn, when the flywheel's starting to shift, when colleges uh, own their own stories. That is that they've stopped fighting with their data. Uh, a lot of the culture work we do with our colleges is really around helping them understand their data. And you started off earlier by saying, you know, the data points are, are students' stories. So we look at the quantitative data uh, deeply, but then we also bring student voice into the middle of the room so that we begin to build a culture that's not so resistant, but rather builds champions uh, for the redesign work, builds champions for putting learners at the middle of the design and the co-design of the experience, and builds then faculty champions who have to be at the table in large numbers to really do this work. That's where the biggest uh, culture opportunity is in the United States and also in New Zealand. You know, faculty are, I call them our scalers. Uh, we can't do this work at scale, this redesign work at scale, if faculty are not at the table and leading the way forward. Uh, and beginning to look at their own, ref you know, reflect on their own professional practice. 
how is the way that a course is designed uh, help disadvantaging some students over other students? And that those messages are sometimes very challenging uh, to, to be received. Uh, so the work can be slow. Uh, you know, we, I, I talked to uh, last week about the work for some of our colleges who begin to really accelerate completion can be five to seven years. Uh, and it's it has to be unwavering kind of constant attention and support for faculty and staff to move through this redesign work. It, there's no easy, quick fix because I do believe, and I think this is the, the, the root of the question, that culture is challenging and is the biggest barrier uh, to success in this area. New Zealand school attendance, I was just thinking actually one data point is whether people even start at the college. Your, your data points are probably looking at those who don't complete, but a big issue is those who even go in the first place with some of our tertiary yes. institutions. Okay. And to yes. that point. Yes, who's missing? Exactly. You know, who's missing from the, exactly. So that is a, I'm so glad you mentioned that. I mean, that's a major question. Who's missing? Who's not on the campus? Who are we leaving behind in our communities? How can we understand our communities in new ways and reach into our communities in new ways rather than assuming students will find us, families will find us. You know, I would imagine many Maori Pacific Islander uh, students are potentially first-generation college students uh, and don't have the kind of uh, community supports to even begin to understand how to enter a post-secondary institution. New Zealand school attendance in general has plummeted, particularly since the pandemic. The number of students attending school regularly, which is defined as 90% of the time, was barely half. I think the first term this year has recovered somewhat to 59%. Uh, and, you know, this long after the lockdowns, right, um, that's still yes. a pretty shocking figure. How can schools address what appears to be a level of non- or under-engagement? Well, you know, there, the, in the United States, I think high school uh, attendance has rebounded post-COVID. Uh, but what we're finding is that fewer of those students are interested in coming to post-secondary education, uh, you know, for whatever reason than than before the pandemic. So what we're what many of our colleges, our universities are doing, we're reaching into the high schools, uh, and we're trying to help the high schools prevent that dropout or that non-attendance uh, at the point earlier in the in the point of a student's journey. We do, community colleges in the States do a lot of uh, post-secondary education courses at the high schools uh, and open up access for all students because sometimes the engagement for high school students in the States is that uh, the, the structure of the delivery of the course is just not where they are as a learner. And we're finding that when community colleges offer uh, the same kind of courses, but yet are offering college credit, uh, the students are stepping up and in and and really experiencing strong, strong success. Uh, we are worried in the states about um, learning loss from the from the pandemic. I don't we some of the national data on math attainment, we're seeing you know plummeting rate, rates on on uh, on math scores. So we are worried about those things, and our universities and community colleges are really stepping into, that high school space, uh, which traditionally has not been our space, but to try to offer some supports. 
Thank you, Karen. Really interesting. Thanks very much. Uh, Karen Stout, US educationalist. She is with the organisation Achieving the Dream. This is a national network of more than 300 uh, tertiary community colleges in the United States, in New Zealand at the moment, to share her knowledge.